Welcome to Let's Talk About Sex, where every audacious, outrageous, and legendary customer experience begins with the employee experience. Get ready. Here's your host, speaker, facilitator, and coach, Maxine Shapiro. Zappos, the culture everyone wants to copy. And if I may add, still. This headline was not written 10 or 15 years ago. It was written in 2022. So grab your tablet, pen, paper, crayon, as Jamie Naughton Henriad, Chief of Staff for Tony Shea, ex-CEO of Zappos, takes us for a deep dive into the culture and customer service extraordinaire that organizations still wish they could duplicate. And because of the richness of this conversation and how deep we do go, I've made it into two parts. So please enjoy part one. Thanks. Well, today, I feel like I'm very lucky. I am beyond excited to be interviewing and speaking with Jamie Naughton Henriad. I love her last name. Don't ask her about it, though. Who is the chief of staff for Tony Shea, the ex-CEO of Zappos. And I'm just going to go, Jamie, you've got such a big smile on your face right now. I'm just going to let, let you know just a little bit about her and, and what she did. Um, her role was essential in creating and driving the architecture of the dynamic culture, as well as focusing on culture, R&D, to ensure Zappos.com always, 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 always stay relevant to both the employees and their customers. I think just the fact that you put employees first, Jamie, it was all about culture. When I started speaking, I would just bow down to Zappos. And people don't even know the stories. There's a whole generation that really doesn't know uh, what Zappos did. And as I'm, as I titled this episode, Everything Zappos, the culture that broke the mold. So Jamie, welcome to Let's Talk About Sex, the customer and employee experience. And how are you? Let's just start with you. I am, I am doing well. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Ah, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled. So you've been there. When did you start working at Zappos? I started with Zappos in 2004. So they were the little startup that could. Uh, they they had just secured their open line of credit and were going from trying to pay the bills to being able to finally scale. So they were founded in 1999. Just to make that distinction, I started five years after their founding, but right when they started taking off. Yeah, I'd say it's taking off. And for those of you that are like numbers in 2004, let's see, in 2001, Zappos brought in 8.6 million, which is a significant increase from their 1.6 million in 2000. Okay, so I, I had two financial radio shows. I was on Marketplace and you're never supposed to talk numbers because people don't hear numbers. They only see them. So yeah. let's see, 2001, it was 8.6 million. You got that? So a little over 8.5, 8.5 million. Okay. In 2004, it reached 185 million. Yeah. <laughs> right. So just to your point, yes, they took off. Yeah. Ah, but why did they take off? Let's, let's talk about that, Jamie. 
the things that you used to say when you travel all over. And that's how I met Jamie initially when she came. I was going to say Dallas, but it was L.A. Mm-hmm. And you spoke here about the culture. And I like, I think I bowed down to your feet. Like you were oh. <laughs> I'm bowing down to you. Uh, because I knew that this is this has been such a love of my life. And it's so more than revenues. It's no more than than profits and stockholder, just everything. It it's it really is so much more. All right. So let's talk about culture here. You come mm-hmm. in 2004 and Tony goes, Oh, Jamie, why don't you? So take it from there. Yeah. Well, it wasn't it wasn't quite that soon. When when I started in 2004, I was the second person hired in HR. We were growing rapidly. We probably had around 100, 150 employees, but we were adding 80 employees per pay period. So 160 people per month. Zappos had no processes. We didn't even have budgets. So it was the wild, wild west of, of companies. And Tony, Tony, if, if you're not familiar with his journey and, and how Zappos came about, Tony was an investor early on in, in Zappos and came on board as the CEO, but he had sold another company. And in, in what a lot of people didn't know at the time is he, he sold the company because he woke up one day and didn't want to work there anymore. He he looked around and realized he didn't enjoy the work. He didn't enjoy who he was working with. And so he ended up selling it to Microsoft for gobs of money um, and became an investor. And, and that's how Zappos came to be. So he wasn't the founder. But anyway, so he was laser focused on culture and trying to scale culture. So when I started, he uh, he was always around. He was always at our desk because he fundamentally believed that HR was where it happened and he needed oh to my gosh. hands-on and really work to convey what he was trying to build into the, into the people that were within the HR team. So I got just lucky to be around them. Amazing. And, you know, you talk about HR and I bet, well, some of these people in HR, why isn't it like that now? Many of them just got to be pushing papers when everybody knows that everybody started in HR because of the human resources anyway. I, I And I actually think the idea of HR is, and the importance of HR is really taking a hold, especially in startup communities. I speak to a ton of partners and investors and different venture capital funds, and they are pushing their startups earlier and earlier to invest in people resources, human resources, because it is really hard to survive in this environment if you are not being really thoughtful and forward thinking about the work environment you're building. Isn't that fabulous? I a couple of episodes ago, Kirkland Jones, who is in HR, and he sees the same thing. And this is really making me happy. Please continue. So there you are in HR. Tony's over your shoulder going, come on. Yeah. So 
we, you know, we didn't really have a recruiting function at that time. And in the company was growing to a point at, in the beginning, Tony interviewed or Nick, the founder, one of them interviewed every single person that joined the company, but it was at a point where that just wasn't scalable. So the only thing to do was to invest that power really into a recruiting function and train those, those folks on how to do culture interviews. So yeah, so that the recruiting team was, was built out by a phenomenal woman that I love and adore. I worked with her for 16 years at Zappos. Her name was Krista Foley. And she really, her and her team just worked hard to figure out what the secret sauce was and how do you make something that's not super tangible, really tangible in an interview process. And so yeah, that, that is a, that is a part of, of the beginnings of, of Zappos. That's remarkable. And what I want to know now, and what I'm sure my listeners want to know, what's a culture interview? Yeah. I think every company should be interviewing based off of two things. And, and the one is the person you're interviewing, their ability to fit in to the broad culture of your organization, and then the subculture of whatever department they're going to be working in. And then two is skill set. Do they have the skills to do their job? And for generations and decades upon decades, people have been focused on the skills. Can this person do the job? And at Zappos, we were just firm believers that if you can get the culture right, you, you can teach almost anything, but you can't teach personality. You can't teach culture. So you got to hire people that are fit from the beginning. Isn't that true? And I, a lot of times when I go into my organizations and I do my workshops and I can see it like a sore thumb, that person that is just, you know, is toxic. So it's a word we throw around, but it's, it's a legitimate word. There's a lot of power in that bully because they keep them because they're skilled. Mm -hmm. And I always have to go, is it worth it? I, I say that rhetorically, but then I go, you have to look at this. Productivity would jump triple if, if you had somebody in there that you taught the skill, but that had what, what the team wants to put. It doesn't mean like a yes person. Mm -hmm. It just means that can fit in and appreciates the stimulation and, and the different personalities instead of just my way is the right way. Forget it. And I'm the skilled one and you're not. Yeah, I actually, and actually I think I, I think a lot about what you just said and, and not having yes men and women or just likeness. And for a long time, when I was at Zappos, people would say like cult culture, you're, you're creating a cult. And I would argue that the, the reason that Zappos was able to avoid a lot of the pitfalls that other organizations have fallen into in terms of diversity and in inclusion and equity and all of those things is because of our culture. We weren't hiring for sameness. We were hiring for individuality. And part of our process was, do you embrace who you are? And do you bring that to the table every single day? And I always say, none of us survived childhood unscathed, right? And we all have unique things that are unique to us and our families and our culture and our upbringing. And we want those in the workplace. We want you to bring your whole weird self to work every day. And Zappos really nailed that, I think. And, and instead of creating an environment of robots and where everybody looked the same and sounded the same, we, we had a lot of differences and a lot of uniqueness in the building. 
I hope your imagination is getting fired and that you are enjoying this very rich conversation. Now I have three requests. One, please follow and comment on this podcast. Two, share this podcast with your colleagues, managers, the restaurant down the street, or your favorite online retailer. Three, if you are looking to find your own customer brand, your own culture, please contact me. For over 15 years, I've been working and playing with organizations doing just that. Well, to help you decide whether you should call me or not, I have two questions for you. One, do you believe that your employee should be your number one customer? If you do believe that, are your actions and culture aligned with your belief? I can transform that to a definitive yes. Please contact me by going to MaxineShapiro.com. You can speak it in the little speak pipe there, or you can fill out a contact form. Either way, I'd love to hear from you, and, and just tell me what you're thinking of the podcast. Okay, let's get back to the show. So give me a story. It's mm-hmm. a surprise. I'm putting you on the spot. I don't Yeah. <laughs> I, any kind of story regarding that that surprise that we're going to hire this person even though, or you got rid of that one. I think while you're thinking of that, I'm also going to make you talk at the same time. Mm-hmm. Love is the hiring process of Zappos. And I want everyone to listen to this. I'm also going to say something before that. And I and I actually have a story that I think will fit into hiring process okay. and skill. Okay. If you've got it on your mind, go. Oh. Okay. So part of the the culture interview is is identifying whether people fit into the organization as best you can. And then how we doubled down on that is every employee, when they started, went right into call center training. Four weeks, 40 hours a week of nothing but culture, history, policies, and how to help our customers. And in part of that training was also solid 80 hours on the phone with customers. So one of the things that that helped us figure out is core value number 10 at Zappos was be humble. We were looking for people that regardless of their title and their position, that they they came to the table with enough humility where they weren't above anything. Because our call center in a lot of organizations, they're like the redheaded stepchild. You hide them away in a different part of town or, or what have you. They're not even part of your headquarters. And at Zappos, that was our lifeline. It was our, it was our the heart of the organization. So having everyone go through call center training making everyone be a call center employee before they went to their normal jobs was a good way to scope that out. And we we had found a director level person. We spent months recruiting and we found someone that we thought would work out well. We relocated them to Las Vegas where our headquarters was and we put them in the train. Um, the training has very strict rules. You can't be on your phone. You can't, you have to, you have to be present just like our call center employees. And this employee just couldn't get it together. He couldn't distinguish who he was going to be from who he was in that classroom. Just, just the same as everybody else. And we, we didn't wait to figure it out. We didn't We didn't rest on that. He was very talented and he had the skills to do the job. We saw red flags. We identified those red flags and we relocated him back within a two-week period. So, Yeah, isn't that great? And I guess because you had already registered, how many of the core values were you? Because I, I love number 10 being humble, mm-hmm. but how many were after that or before that? What were the other? There was only, there was only 10. Yeah. <laughs> 
So the fact that you knew right away that he didn't fit 10, I think the other part of that is the story of the bus driver. And I love this because I do status work and boy, can status really add a little fire into, and not a good fire either. It, it can really just change an attitude and never come back when, when you're dealing with status uh, to the negative. So can you tell, tell the story about the bus driver? I'm not sure which one that oh is. God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh, all right. Oh my um, God. So oh, we, right. I'm assuming it's like the shuttle driver and. Yes. And yes. Okay. So we had shuttle drivers. They were full-time employees and they would make runs to and from the airport and different casinos to bring vendors into our office or candidates. And part of our recruiting process, and, and you don't have to have shuttle drivers to do this in your organization, but part of the recruiting process was sending evaluations out to the front desk person, the shuttle driver. And like, how was this candidate with you? What was your experience with them? Because sometimes the person who shows up in front of the recruiter is not the same person that showed up at the front desk. And in a, in a company where you value every single position and individual the same, we want to make sure that the people interviewing are delivering that Zappos service from the, from the get-go. <laughs> Isn't, and, and were people eliminated from the process? All the time, all the time. Oh, I, I, I bet one of one of the things that I that we all look at, those of us that, that really care here, is how how do I treat the clerks? I'm on both sides of the counter where you know I I was there in sales and service for years and trained it. And then but every day we're we're also the customer, the client, calling up my phone company, the electric going to get my cleaners, whatever. And I make sure that I also treat those people, those people. I don't even like to say those people, yeah. uh, the people behind there with just their gold. And if they don't treat me right, I sometimes give them the benefit of the doubt. Like, ah, maybe they're having a bad day. What I notice in, cause I'm very much the same way. And in a lot of ways, Zappos changed me forever, yeah. which is that everybody has a bad day. So we gotta, we gotta treat our, our service workers and, and everybody like humans, but oftentimes it's not their fault. They are beholden to an organization that puts handcuffs on every single movement. And they have such a lack of autonomy in their job that providing cu bad customer services is the outcome set up by the decisions that leadership makes without consulting the people that are facing customers every day. And I I have two examples of this, if if you wouldn't mind. I Like when I walk into a place, I'm constantly thinking, Me like, too. What, what's going on behind the scenes here? Right. I checked into a hotel in Vegas and they had spelled my last name wrong, which happens all the time. They get the I and the O on the wrong and, and no one can ever find my reservation. So because my name was spelled incorrectly, I couldn't check in without standing in this incredibly long line. So I stood in line for probably 30 minutes. I get to the counter and he, the guy's checking me in. And I said, Hey, can you like fix my name so that I can use the app to get into my room? It's like essential because the, they use your ID and your name and the machine does its thing and knows that you're who you say you are. So anyways, the name's not spelled right. I can't, I can't use all the functions that other guests can can do. So he's like, sure, no problem. He helps me get checked in. And then he said, I'll be right back. And he left me there. 
And I watched him walk over to the end of this big, long lobby check-in. And I watched him stand there for 10 minutes waiting to get the attention of someone. And so meanwhile, I'm just standing there and he finally comes back and he's like, all right, you're all set, Mrs. Henriot. And da, 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 he's doing his thing. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what, what happened? Like, what, why did you have to leave? I just was curious. And he said, oh, I had to get permission to, to update your name. Like I, we're talking just moving the eye over one spot. He had to put me in in on hold in person along with 50 other customers because he doesn't have the autonomy to change one letter in a name. And now I understand that someone somewhere is protecting my security by not allowing employees to change names or what have you. But this seems like something that good judgment, like he should be, have been able to do. And, and that I think is a really good example of how employees, cannot serve the customer and in the way they they would like to simply because there's a policy. Yeah. And and I'm going to flip that because I've had the experience and I'm so grateful with most of my clients that they go let them know they can do this. Mm-hmm. It, it, I I just came back from Tanaya Lodge up at Yosemite mm-hmm. and doing these 3-day workshops and the GM very he's I've interviewed him already, but he, he says, you can give things. If you see that people, you know, if it's going to take that, Hey, this dinner's on us. Well, mm-hmm. why don't you go take this and, and go get yourself a hot chocolate or have, have some dessert. We've got some, whatever, or bring something up to the room. You don't have to, you don't need approval for this. Now, if you gave them a week, you and I may want to talk. He didn't say you'll be fired, but it's, People were not used to this. And when I say by by the time people get hired, no one is hired straight out. And they've had those jobs where they've been micromanaged. And and I can you and I both can spot a mile away when there's bad management. Mm-hmm. No one's smiling. No one is happy to see you. Nobody wants to help you. And and that is all. And I'm gonna say this. No, they haven't been given the the power to do that, but it's all because of the management. They don't know how to break free and allow for that, as I say, do whatever it takes on the spot to make the customer happy. Mm-hmm. If that's your only motto, you're fine, you're there. Be a little humble, as core 10 points out, but we got to do this. So yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about this training and then what happened, because I mean, you're traveling all over the world. You're telling people about the culture. Give us a few minutes of that. What you say when you jumped up there? Well, I, I think part of the the mission that we were on was to, Tony would, would always say, like, at the end of the day, we sell shoes. Like, we're not changing the world by selling shoes. We are changing the world because we want to inspire people to create work environments that everybody wants to be in and to create service experience that everyone wants to be part of. And I, I think what Zappos was, it had a lot of unlucky moments that upon reflection were the luckiest things that ever happened to them, right? When they were born right as the dot-com bubble had burst. So this endless amount of investing, it dried up. So what you had was what you had. You had to, you had to make do. And, and I I would imagine that the economy as it is today is pretty similar. Investing is getting hard, investment is harder and harder to come by. 
But what that meant is Zappos couldn't do a lot of, for lack of a better word, like ego marketing that companies prior to the dot-com bubble could do. They couldn't take out large Super Bowl ads to explain who they were and, and why they existed. And so from the beginning, Tony realized that we were not competing against other dot-coms. There were no other real, real competition for selling shoes online because mainly because no one thought it was possible that we were competing against brick and mortar. And so if you're competing against brick and mortar, you have to compete on service and you have to compete on speed. How, how fast can we get to people? And, and everybody was saying, you, you know, I got to try my shoes on. I got to try my shoes on. And, and Tony knew that that wasn't accurate because I think at the time, something like 5% or so, it was, it was millions and millions of dollars of shoes were being sold through mail order catalogs. So if you can buy it through mail order catalog, you can sure, surely buy it on the internet. And so we created fast, free shipping and return shipping. And, and I don't know if we were the first, but we were certainly among the first to do free shipping and free return shipping. It was unheard of at the time. And we even set up our warehouse in a location where we could reach the vast majority of the country within two business days at a ground rate. So Tony knew that marketing dollars needed to be put into the call center, not into commercial ads. So we looked at our call center as our marketing vehicle. Instead of figuring out how to make customers call us less, we wanted to be more accessible to our customers. He would always say that the, the telephone is the best branding device you have. You have their undivided attention for however long you have them on the phone. So let's take this time to show them who we are. And we realized that the people who called us were better customers. They spent more, they came back more, and they told our story for us. And and that's because if I may add, Jamie, you didn't have quotas on how long you could stay on the phone with somebody. Yeah. And I can tell so quickly when I'm on the phone, is that all you need? 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 And I, I make them slow down. You know, I'm like this like yeah. teacher. I, you know, I come around and I just go, can I tell you something? Don't rush. <laughs> you know, it's like, don't rush your customer. All right. Well, yeah. we've got a quota here. I've got to make so many calls a day. And again, Zappos is renowned for staying on all day with people if that's what they need. Yeah. And I think in like, like you had said earlier about how in my, my bio, it says employees and customers and employees start first. You cannot provide great customer service if you are not first providing great customer service to your employees. And we had something that we called PEC, which stood for personal emotional connection. And for us, that meant how are you personally emotionally connecting with your employees outside of the work that they do for you? And how are you personally emotionally connecting with your customer outside of the product that they buy? So in order to personally emotionally connect with our customers, we got rid of call times. We weren't judging a call center employee's ability to provide great service by how quickly they can get a customer off the phone but how well they engage that customer in their life. If you heard a dog barking and you like dogs, let's talk about dogs, not just black high heels or whatever you called for. And that was, I think, where stories were born for our company. It, it really was. I'm trying to remember early on, and either you'll remember or you won't, something about a map that you they used. What was that? I can't remember, but I remember telling a story about it. 
Do you know what well, it is? I mean, we've had a number of different maps, but I think maybe the one you're talking, we used to have a map that every time a product sold, it would light up and tell us like where in the country it was, it was being sold. But at some point we were just, we also had a bell that used to ding every time a customer placed an order. That's how few orders we were getting. And they got to the point where that would just be <laughs> annoying. So yeah, That's but we, very we also on the map. Thing. At one point, we used our technology that we built in-house to route customers to an agent that grew up from where they were calling. So like you're in the LA area, right? So I grew up in 818, which is San Fernando Valley. And if you were calling in from maybe 213 or 805, somewhere close to where I grew up, it would route you to me because we knew that if you got me, we're going to talk, we're going to have stuff to talk about. When's the last time you were on Ventura Boulevard? Tell me about your favorite restaurant in the Valley or what have you. And, and again, that's where stories were the, the stories and the legacy of Zappos was born in our call center. So I love that. I love that. I love that because that's seeking the connection. What I tell when I, when I go through these workshops, whatever. <laughs> if you ask somebody, where are you from? That is not, and they answer, you must come back with a line. Either, oh, I grew up there. Oh, my aunt lives there. Oh, I've always wanted to go there. Oh, I was there when I was eight. Mm -hmm. You always find it, find the connection. You'll feel better. This isn't like, oh my gosh, she's making me find the connection now. It's like, watch what happens to you. It becomes two humans talking then. And yeah. this is all I want. This is all you want is that we just want to be human with each other. And when you find that we can all see the differences, my gosh, like you said, we look different, we sound different, we age different, whatever. But when we get to that one part where we can find that little thing to connect, oh, do they still have that popcorn? Mm -hmm. I, when I say people are from Chicago, they always go, what's that popcorn? And I can't believe I just forgot the name of it. But anyway, caramel corn is kick-ass <laughs> caramel corn. But I love that you actually went to the effort. I mean, clearly they had to stop it. Listen to that startups. I mean, you've you've got the opportunity to do that right now. And, and I do want to share with you when you said the call center gets put away in the back. You know, figs, and they're going to get on here eventually. They they make the uniform, uniforms for doctors, et cetera. They put their customer service people, they put the executives in the back and they brought CX right to the front. Like when you walk in the door, you're going to see them because they're the most important people. So things are changing, Jamie. Yeah. And you did, you, you started this. It's, okay. We might just have to split this. And split it, we did. So you'll just have to stay tuned for part two. And thank you so much for listening. Be kind out there.